Welcome to this month's Baltic Triangle podcast with me, Mark Reeson. And me, Mick Ord. Well, Mick, it's very much a football theme on this month's podcast, despite the fact that we can't actually go to any matches because of the current COVID restrictions. Well, there is some light at the end of the tunnel. Yeah, we'll be hearing from the man behind Fun First Football, a brand new football skills centre for all the family, which is now alive and very much kicking in Walton. Football is, is for everybody. It's not just for, you know, these people who come out and say that they're elite and like, there's, there's things that shouldn't be happening in football at this, you know, a grassroots level and certainly not for little kids. So we're trying to make something somewhere where they can come and play like I used to play when I was a kid. Because inadvertently, as a society, we've taken the streets away from the kids. And we'll be hearing a lot more from Alex Tunstall, whose voice you just heard in a few minutes. We'll also be hearing from one of the UK's most respected authorities on football, the author, broadcaster and academic, Dr. Rogan Taylor, who predicts an extremely rocky road for the beautiful game over the next few years. We're going to see a global shrinking of the football economy. At the lower levels of the game, I don't quite know how this will work out, but looking at the top of the game, at the Premier Leagues of the world, this is bound to have a profound impact. I mean, how, how could it not? Yeah, we'll be hearing from Rogan in a couple of minutes after the interview with Alex Tunstall from Fun First Football. Um, I think as a football fan, and I know you are as well, I just can't get into the... Even though Everton were top of the league for a couple of hours, or maybe they still will be, who knows? But um, it's just not the same without the fans, is it? I, I do think the football will survive. I think football is going to be obviously impacted by, by COVID, but... I mean, you can already see that the games have kicked off and the enthusiasm is definitely there. And even if you're not a massive football fan, it is nice to see it come back. Yeah, it is nice to see it, but I'm just not as engaged as I was a year ago. I miss the fans. And also, as we'll hear a bit later from Dr. Rogan Taylor, you can't separate football from life at the moment. In the old days, it was a, it was a good place to forget all your worries from work and all the rest of it. You can't do that now, can you? It's part of a big international global pandemic. The other aspect of football, which, which was massively important to me, it was the social aspect of it. It was the fact that you went along with your mates. You, yeah. you know, you, you enjoyed that aspect of the game as, as, as much as the match itself. The match was, was part of the, the whole social gathering thing. And it also reinforced a lot of the things that were a constant in your life from even when you were a little kid, you know? It, it was one of those things that was always there. So the fact that you can't actually attend a match, you know, you haven't got that kind of thing where you're putting the scarves on and, and, and all the rest of it and you're, you're having that meal before the game. I think that will have a, a bigger impact than we think about socially. And also, even if people who don't go to the match regularly, they'll be thinking, well, if I want to, I can go to a couple of games a season, maybe. But you can't even do that. It's the inability to have that choice. We don't have the choice at the moment, do we? And I think that is quite a mental block at least for me anyway however on a brighter note you've been up to Goodison haven't you not all or at least near there not to sneak in and watch the now mighty blues have you but you've been not far from Goodison Park what have you been doing well Mick I went along to talk to Alex Tungstall of Fun First Football Um, he's got an incredible football skills facility there for all the family and it is as you say just around the corner from Everton's ground uh, it's only just opened. It opened on the 10th of September, but I believe he's been going great guns. Uh, so I went along there to have a look around and to find out a little bit more about some of the inspiration behind the venture. 
the idea for Fun First Football came from working away and wanting to come home and spend some quality time with my, my eldest son at the time. Um, and there was nowhere really to go, not, not where we both enjoyed it. Certainly not, you know, when you go to like these trampoline parks and the soft play centres and stuff like that. But we both loved football, even from a very early age. Charlie loved his football, so we were struggling to find places where we could go. In fact, there was nowhere, to be perfectly honest. So I started putting a few ideas together for a predominantly fun centre where you can maybe have some inflatable target games and things like this. And the idea just spun and spun and spun. And um, the more I researched, the more things popped up. Um, which led me to a lot of the like the, the state of the art equipment that we've got here today. So tell me who it's aimed at then, uh, and, and and how do the sessions work? Okay, there's there, we do two different types of sessions really. They're quite general sessions, but the first session is like a predominantly fun session. So all of the equipment, although it was designed for uh, players coming back from injury, professional players, it appeals to kids because it's interactive. You know, kids love the flashing lights, they love that sort of thing. So at the moment, because of the COVID stuff, you're not quite left to your own devices. We do have to put certain things in place where you'll go around and you'll use each of the 10 training stations that we have under supervision from our staff. It's not a coaching session as such. It's more like you would take your kids to the trampoline park or the soft play centre. You come and you can leave them with us in there knowing that they're safe and they're enjoying themselves playing football. Um, the other type of session is a little bit more intense. Uh, it's a circuit, footy fit, we call it. This is kind of my favourite type of session because it, it can be for anyone. So you could literally come with your son or your daughter or, and you could do exactly the same circuit because you're both working to your own max, but you're doing it together. And that's what the kind of ethos behind Fun First Football is. It, it, football is, is for everybody. It's not just for, you know, these people who come out and say that they're elite and like, there's, there's things that shouldn't be happening in football at this, you know, a grassroots level and certainly not for little kids. So we're trying to make something somewhere where they can come and play like I used to play when I was a kid. Because inadvertently, as a society, we've taken the streets away from the kids. For me personally, I think that there should be a lot more done about that by the likes of councils and stuff like that. Because it's okay throwing money at, like, a hub, for example. But them hubs have only been built on land that was previously used for football pitches anyway. So it's not creating anything extra. And that's not... What do they do for right the way through the week? You know, just as an example, I mean, I know that I went to school Monday. I played football at first break, football at second break, then I played football after school. I must have been getting a thousand touches a day easy. I can guarantee to you now there's not one kid in Liverpool who's touching the ball more than 5,000 times a week. It's just, it's gone. You know, that side of it's gone. Now, our equipment here, and the way we've set up the circuit, you're guaranteed to do a thousand touches. So it doesn't matter how you're touching the ball. The more you touch the ball, you, you don't get better at kicking the ball without kicking the ball. Don't get me wrong, all kids still love football. I just don't feel like they have what we had. The, the experiences, I suppose. You know, that like going out on the street and playing against your nan's wall or playing footy tennis over your wall or playing spot or curbs. Or, they can't do any of that. And as silly as it might sound, 
they were a massive part of my childhood. Massive. But if you look at each piece of equipment out there, they're not a million miles away from the games that we used to play when we were kids. They've just been modernised and brought forward with technology. There's a science behind the equipment. It was all designed behind, by the science team at Southampton. So there's massive benefits to using it and you don't have to... You don't even have to coach the kids, to be perfectly honest with you. The machine does it for you. Um, all you're doing is just showing encouragement. So you've got a substantial amount of equipment here already, but I know you've got ambitions to have future expansions. Talk to me a little bit about some of the stuff you're going to do. Well, as I touched on earlier, the, the equipment itself was designed by professionals for professionals, mostly for players coming back from injury, so, say, so that these players could get back up to match fitness and match sharpness without needing the other players to do it with them. They can do it in their own time. Um, so the rehabilitation and recovery route is something that we're already uh, exploring now. We're, we're looking at an affiliation with a company called RPX um, for the recovery aids, hoping to look at maybe altitude chambers, cryo chambers, things like this. Uh, we're looking to install a gym and incorporate the pool that we already have on site. Uh, we have a company from Holland coming to measure up next week for a false bottom on the pool. It's quite deep at the moment, the pool, because it was previously used as a dive centre. So it's not good for us, for what we want to do. Um, obviously, we can do... That, that's going down a more professional, more serious route, but obviously with everything, we can still incorporate a lot of fun with the pool and stuff like that. And uh, Hoping to expand on the other side of the unit, which would become a 2,000-square-foot function room, which is adjacent to our outdoor five-a-side 3G pitch. Uh, so there's, there's lots. So I kind of want to make this place a one-stop shop for all things football, in a nutshell. A um, place where families can go. You know, you can go in it. We're actively trying to encourage families to take part together. Only yesterday, I had a, it was the best session so far. We've had some brilliant sessions, really brilliant sessions. I'm delighted with how it's gone from the football side of things. It was always a worry starting something new. But yesterday we had a dad and his daughter next to each other doing exactly the same thing, uh, doing the circus. You know, they were having fun, interacting together. Uh, and it was just great to see because that's, that's exactly the thing that I want it's not just about as much as I wouldn't you know I want, I want professionals or semi-professionals or top level footballers coming in I also want six year olds who are just starting out in the game who can learn to love it in there and then they can take what they learn here and go and play for the teams and and they can enjoy that journey the same way we all did when we were younger because I, I think it's kind of been taken away a little bit now I don't think they because they don't get that, because the streets are gone sort of thing, and they don't get them extra. I don't think they love it as much as we do. We did, I should say, when we were kids. I think it's it's a little bit different. I see it in my own son, you know, it's quite easy to, to flick on a PlayStation now. There was nothing like that when we were kids, absolutely nothing. So we just had the ball at our feet, you know, 24-7. It's not about making it as a professional footballer. It's about enjoying uh, this city's favourite sport for, for, for definite. I mean, if this this business doesn't work here, it's not going to work anyway. But we've had a fantastic start. Um, loads of response, loads of people getting in touch.
Where else could we find equipment like this in? Where, where would you generally find this now in the UK? You wouldn't get it outside of a top club. We're the first in the UK to bring it mainstream. Uh, even down to the sandpit, I mean, when I incorporated the sandpit, it was to make the session complete. Obviously, we've got a lot of technique, we've got a lot of uh, ball work, but strength, stability, power, explosiveness, all them things can come from the sandpit. And, um, and we've had a fantastic response for that as well. I mean, the kids love it. Uh, the adults leave looking like they've done something. Uh, the sessions that we had last week have been uh, a bit of an eye-opener for them. I think when they see the fun, fun first football on the door, they think they're coming just to have a laugh and kick balls at lights, but uh, it looks easy. It isn't. You're also going away from here, having done something that not only that you love, but you're getting something out of that equipment. You're getting a proper training session. In some cases, you didn't even know you'd had a training session. Some of these kids come here, they just see the flashing lights. Them flashing lights, they've been designed by professionals. They've been designed by professional football teams. One of them modes in there is designed by Barcelona. You know, there's top players using this equipment and they're designed to help them get better. So if little Johnny, age seven, wants to come in and just kick the ball at the lights, that's great. But he's still got exactly the same out of that piece of equipment as that professional has who's had to go before him. This year has been really challenging for everybody. I mean, how has the pandemic shaped your plans? Well, <laughs> we actually, so in, I'm not going to lie, we, we put everything into this place. Um, then all of a sudden the lockdown came. The builders couldn't come. So we had to do it ourselves. And I've spent three months with my family and my, my girlfriend's family, literally knocking down every wall in here that needed to be knocked down building sand pits, laying turf, painting, decorating everywhere. It's, it's been hard, very, very hard, but we're there now. I know that the hard work starts now to make sure that we, you know, we keep people coming through the door and we do what we say, we deliver what we say we're going to deliver. But I'm more than confident we can do that after the opening that we've had. So I'm, I'm happy. I'm never going to be kind of satisfied until I've got everything that I want here. And, but that'll happen, it will happen, because we've come through the hardest part. The rest of it, if we just take things step by step and we keep implementing things along the way, uh, we'll get there. So, yeah, I'm more, I'm more than confident that we're going to achieve that, or what I want to achieve. I'm full of admiration for, for, the, for what you're doing. And the other thing that appeals to me greatly is that you've taken what was a fairly disused industrial estate and you're starting to rebuild it into a thriving business. What, what would it mean to you to have a real strong connection with the community here? If you bring something to the city that involves football and you can bring people together who can enjoy football in the way we're hoping to help people enjoy football, then it's good, isn't it? You know, it's, not going to be, it's never going to be a negative thing that we're doing. Well, you know, obviously we're going to impact the, the area, no doubt about that. Um, but there's a lot of different aspects to the, to the question that you're asking. You know, there's a lot of different benefits to people coming here. And if we can help, for example, you know, from a footballing perspective, if the kids are going to come and they're going to get better, then that's great. We need somewhere where kids can go to love the game again and just have fun. 
if someone's going to use the facility to come in and just have fun and interact with the kids. Again, we've benefited the, the local area because they come and they've had fun and they've interacted and they've bonded with the child. From another point of view, if you want to say, OK, people are coming here to do the footy fit circuit and they're going to do get fitter, they're getting healthier, they get, you know, so you've got the health benefits as well. So I do think we will have a, a positive impact. I don't see how we can't. So how can people keep up to date with future developments at Fan First Football? Uh, well, we'll obviously use a very active on social media, Twitter, Instagram, Facebook. Um, it's www.funfirstfootball.co.uk. But social media is generally where you'll you'll get to, as, as with anything nowadays, it's, and I don't run it. <laughs> so you'll get it quite quickly. No, no, if I was on it, you wouldn't, uh, you wouldn't get it for days. I'm not very good with the social media stuff, but. Give us that web address again. It's www.funfirstfootball.co.uk. Everybody needs to get along and see what you've got here, Alex. It's a fantastic sound. And as I said before, I am full of admiration for what you've got going on here. Thank you very much. Thanks for having me on as well. OK, that was Alex Tunstall talking to Mark about uh, Fun First Football. Great facility. Strange time to start a business, obviously, as we have said before on the podcast. But we wish him all the best. And the great thing is it's grassroots and it's for all the family. And also, I really admire what he's done there because he's taken what is pretty much a disused area of an industrial estate and he's really poured himself into it. And you can see that. And some of the plans he's got for the for the future there for that facility are really, really exciting. Yeah, it'll, it'll be, you know, when the pandemic is over, fingers crossed, um, we'll need to rebuild football in this country, won't we? And rebuilding it... Um, from grassroots, from the bottom up, is always better than imposing stuff from above. Whatever happens to the professional clubs, whatever happens to the big teams, to football transfers, it's great that you've got something like that, as I say, from the grassroots up. We wish him all the best, don't we? So Mick, once again, we are supported by our friends at Baltic Broadband Limited. Tell me a little bit about that. This podcast is brought to you in partnership with Baltic Broadband Limited, a Merseyside-based broadband provider specifically for businesses wherever you're based. They're a highly skilled and efficient Liverpool-based team, not a large faceless corporation with international call centres and all that. Baltic Broadband is local and they also founded the Liverpool Internet Exchange and they offer ultra-fast internet to businesses with 24-7 monitoring, 365 days a year with first-class customer service. Fast installation and they also recycle 100% of their waste. So that's Baltic Broadband Limited and we'd like to thank them for partnering this particular podcast. Indeed, Mick. It's more important than ever to get behind a local business as well. So uh, we really, really want you to uh, support them in any way you can. As we've been nettering today, in terms of the professional game, us footy fans have had to stay glued to our screens to enjoy the match. And personally, I think it showed us how important the fans are. It's just not the same without authentic crowd noises, is it? Well, Dr. Rogan Taylor is the director of the Football Industry Group at the University of Liverpool. He's a well-known author, broadcaster and journalist and has written extensively about the game on and off the field. I've known Rogan for more than 30 years and have great respect for his views on the game. He's particularly worried about the future of football, not just in this country but everywhere, as he explained when I interviewed him over Zoom not so long ago. How the hell are we going to get through this? Because um, the fixed costs are so high, 70%. 
of the income that we raise to pay these players and those contracts can't be changed or reneged on. I mean, you can try individual negotiations, I suppose, with players, but I think their agents sitting next to them will be saying, sorry, mate, bugger off. You know, this is, this is hard and fast. This is the contract. You've got to pay it, pay my man, you know? I mean, is, is the fact, though, Rogan, that I imagine all clubs in Europe and indeed throughout the world are having these conversations and are looking at this black hole. Surely that should lower down, that should lower the value of the, of the players, you would think. Well, yeah, well, yes, you would think so. I mean, everything else. I mean, look at the the uh, the TV deal the, the, uh, at the moment. That's shrunk quite significantly from the original version of this deal, precisely because <coughs> the clubs can't deliver what the what Sky and BT uh, and Amazon bought was a stadium full of fans watching a football match. Right, the value of the game. A very significant part of that is all the crazy fans who are around making a huge noise, giving the you know. If we, we think about that, you know, Liverpool Leeds game, and imagine what that would have been like with you know with fifty five thousand people in the ground, of fifteen thousand of whom would have been Leeds fans, and the amazing atmosphere. That, that generates the TV, uh, uh, the rights buyers have every right to say, Listen, this isn't the product we bought, this is a much lesser version. Where you know, depending on which way you look at it, you can either have sort of a little bit of fake crowd music, or you can listen to the players talking to each other, <laughs> and it feels a bit like a training exercise. So the product isn't the same, the value isn't the same. And as those, I mean, you know, when you think that 70% of a club's income comes from the TV rights, and those TV rights are about to get devalued, already are devalued quite significantly, then the tightening of belts that's going to be required here in that sort of, you know, 30% of your costs, which isn't players. It's not a lot of ground to work with, is it? For belt tightening. And it's going to be extremely difficult. In fact, they're going to go into debt. The clubs will have to borrow very significant amounts of money simply to stay alive. And of course, that then has a contingent effect on, on you know, the way the clubs can compete going forward in the European competitions where they compete in terms of attracting players. It's already quite clear that the players who are coming into new deals will be getting considerably less than they would have been under normal circumstances. Because, you know, the, the negotiation that takes place has to recognise the fact that, um, you know, bringing in this player um, doesn't give us that extra boost in terms of um, his commercial value, for instance. <laughs> you know, I mean, if you think about, you know, the great player, I mean, the global presence um, that, uh, that some 
Liverpool's players have at Real Madrid, Barcelona, Bayern Munich, they, you know, the big boys. I mean, that was absolutely amazing. Um, and when all that starts shrinking, where do the clubs go for this money? It's very difficult to kind of look into the crystal ball at the moment because we don't know when this COVID thing is going to wane, do we? You know, But if we were to say, for argument's sake, that for the rest of this season, in effect, fans won't be allowed into football grounds, which seems to me to be a fairly reasonable assessment yeah. of this. Of the situation, you wonder. In terms of the clubs, they just have to borrow. But will the banks and will the other people, will the private investors, be wanting to lend them this money? Do you think, or will clubs? So, will some clubs just disappear? Do you think? Well, I mean, the price of of borrowing, of course, is determined by the economic circumstances, isn't it? The percent, as it were, that you have to pay back in addition to the the lump sum that you've owned, I mean, just like a mortgage on your house, you end up paying a lot more for the house than the, the price of the house. And, you know, exactly the same will apply here. And so, I mean, we're going to see a global shrinking of the football economy. At the lower levels of the game, I don't quite know how this will work out. But looking at the top of the game, at the Premier Leagues of the world, this is bound to have a profound impact. I mean, how, how could it not? Um, and, and, and so, you know, I think like everyone else, like industry, like, you know, the way everything's working at the moment, that we've got extraordinarily difficult and unpredictable times lying ahead. And uh, football with its very, you know, significant fixed costs in terms of contracts for players. Um, you know, I mean, they don't have a great deal of leeway. And that's, I, I don't think we've ever seen times like this. And that this may, you know, uh, as we can see in other areas, threaten the very sort of um, foundations upon which these things have been built over this last, what is it, it's... Um, 30-odd years now, isn't it, of the Premier League? And, um, you know, if you just look at those bounces of numbers involved where, you know, the, the first deal was, you know, 190 million and the second one was nearly 700 million. Uh, and then the third one was like 1.1 billion and the fourth one was three billion. <laughs> and, you know, and it just kept on motoring off. And of course, alongside that running parallel is, is the you know the guys you can't do it without, and that's the players. And they're all on contracts. And whether they'll renegotiate contracts down at the end of, in the light of the fact that the clubs just simply don't make any money from a match day, other the squeezed, lower value rights of the television companies to show the game. Otherwise, they make nothing. They can't sell anything. And you wonder whether um, governments will be able or willing to step in, because as you say, the rest of society is, is trying to play catch-up as well. And although it might be a great um, 
populist move to say, yeah, we're going to save the football clubs and the communities. They may well not be in a position to do so. Um, well, I, I mean, uh, I mean, Kate, the, the only real way that ra- radical um, lowering of costs can take place is if players' wages can be lowered. And, of course, players are on a contract. When that contract runs out, it's renegotiated. And that's, you know, that's the point where presumably the clubs can be saying, we don't have the money anymore. This is the reality. Just look, there's nobody watching you in the stadium. There's nobody buying hot dogs. There's nobody in the shop. There's nobody in the expensive executive boxes. We, the, the original amount that we agreed to pay you on the last contract was in the days when the income was much, much more significant than it is now. How can we continue to pay this? And of course, this is Europe-wide, so it's not going to be very easy for the players to say, oh, well, you know, bugger it, I'm off. I'll go to buy and I'll go to whoever wants yeah. me. Of course, you know, some of them may want to go to Arabic dictatorships <laughs> of a horrific kind, <laughs> of, uh, you know, with limitless amounts of money. Um, but, you know, most football players surely are going to want to keep playing. But to take a loss is in the teeth of everything that's happened over this last 30 odd years. And, um, you know, it's going to be hard. It's difficult to sound optimistic, isn't it? Because, you know, there's not much to be optimistic about at the moment, is there? I mean... Part of what's going on at the moment. And, of course, I mean, the broader context of this is climate change. Because you wouldn't have COVID without the fact that the climate warming up, that means that land that was once not available to use becomes available to use because you can grow stuff on it because the temperature is rising. That means that animals that lived in that land move to places that they haven't been before and you end up with a bat in a weird place giving COVID and bingo, off you go, the world rocks. The economies of the world rocks because of climate change. And there's no indication that we're going to slow it down quick enough. And I think we have every reason, quite frankly, to think this is the last century of Homo sapiens, because at the moment, <laughs> I don't see a, a practical way forward. I've just had a granddaughter born, uh, my first granddaughter me too me too and I, yeah and I, I i think about you know the next 80 years i had for her and i just you know i'm absolutely horrified at the prospect because i can't see anything short of major major disasters both um uh, environmental um uh, weather patterns um, the changing nature of animal behaviour in the face of the changing climate, and all this. I mean, this is 
you know, I mean, the problem is, I mean, we can we can do you know everything we can now to try and assuage it, but the reality is, in eighteen forty, we started digging up all the coal we could find. It was here. It was England. In fact, it was quite close to Liverpool where it all first started, right? And we dug up all this coal and we burnt it to 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 fuel the world's first industrial revolution. The world that we live in today began then with mass production and mass labor and all the, you know, the politics around that. And, you know, when you think about that, where, you know, 130 years in or whatever it is since then, in fact, 150, 160 years in since then, and we've been polluting the planet almost the entire time. And, you know, there isn't a magic bullet at the moment. How do you suck that carbon monoxide out of the stratosphere? It's there. The world is warming up. That changes everything. A, degree, a shift of 0.5 of one degree is extremely significant. And people are talking about 1.5 by 2050. You know, that's only 18 years, <laughs> for God's yeah. sake. I, yeah. you know, I mean, this is coming down the line like a train. And of course, because our lives are short, comparatively speaking, because large, particularly in the rich West, Large portions of the population are like me and you. We're not going to be here for all that much longer, even if we're incredibly lucky. You know, we're all going. This is it. This is what happens. COVID isn't about, uh, you know, a weird disease getting loose. Of course it is. But why? It's climate change. That's what it is. So do you think that's going to stop? No, it isn't. Do you think that we get through this and then we'll be, you know, kind of back in our armchairs? No, we won't. This could go on, you know, this could just get worse and worse and worse. And, um, you know, I, I, I think you need to wake up. And I've got three daughters, as I said, one granddaughter. And I think about their lives going forward. I'm absolutely terrified for them. Yeah, 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 no. I mean, I'm, I'm sure. I don't see how anybody who knows... Sure, yeah. That the, those basic facts can be anything other than terrifying. I mean, it does also drive you to love life now, to live it now, to do what you can now, to make joy for yourself and your loved ones now. Give it everything you've got because don't put it off. Yeah. Yeah, I mean, no. nobody, you know, we're looking at it, you know, another movie we're talking about football, probably looking at the whole season of no commercial activity around football games and the cost of that and the impact of that on the whole financial structure. Of course it'll survive. Of course it will. It's football. You know, it's the only global game. And so, you know, it, it's, I mean, that's something else I think that people sometimes don't inquire deeply enough into to think, well, you know, I mean, you know, when the rules of 
Association Football were written down in 1863, and at the same moment the Football Association was born. They were writing the rules of, of baseball with old, you know, gridiron, I think. They were writing the rules of gridiron in America right at the same time. So it wasn't like football had an advantage. And of course, you know, the others, you know, golf, much, much older, tennis, 500 years, you know, much more. There's lots of other sports in there. Why is it football? You know, why is it football that becomes the only global game where you can go anywhere in the world now and mention where you're from? And people can say, Liverpool, oh yeah. You know, Liverpool football club. And, that, you know, that is just, it's absolutely amazing what's and I have, you know, really, as I say, you know, my urges live, live now, live now, because in a way it's a dumb deal. It's just a matter of time. I can't, there's no magic bullet. So, um, you know, stand by, button down the hatches, love one another and enjoy the life you've got because actually after us, maybe. I mean, the world will be fine. In fact, the world will be absolutely ace without Homo sapiens because we've fucked it up from the moment we lit that first fire, you know. Yeah, yeah. And um, uh, we're the ones who've poisoned it. And I'm sure, you know, all the, um, you know, the animals of the world, and, you know, if we all go, we'll be sort of scratching their heads and going, shit, I'm glad that lot have gone right now, you know. Thought-provoking stuff there, Mick. Um, two very different stories, but uh, let's just talk very briefly about Dr. Rogan Taylor because I know it had a big impact on you, didn't it? Yeah, it did. I mean, I've known him for 30 or so years and I generally talk to him about football or football-related matters. And under normal times, if I'd have done an interview with him about football and then he'd have started talking about climate change and the birth of his granddaughter and how worried he was about the future, I'd have probably edited that out of the interview, interesting though it is. I had a long think about it this time and I think it was better to leave it in because until, you know, six, nine months ago, um, you could forget the stresses and strains of your daily life at work or whatever and football was an escape for all that or rugby or whatever your sport is and it's not now sport is not really an escape it's become a televised event and it's not as good let's face it whatever sport you follow and so I thought it was important to keep that in because the stuff that he was saying about climate change and that football is part of that and we've got to deal with it but there is light at the end of the tunnel. If you look at the story that I covered this month, um, really, really exciting grassroots football project. Um, you know, very contrasting to, to Dr. Rogan Taylor's thoughts. And, and again, you can't go very far in Liverpool without having something related to football being there, where it's on the walls, it's, or, 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 you know, just in the general chat. There is football at the very heart of what happens in this city. And, um, and again, that will drive the economic resurgence of, of Liverpool. Yeah, hopefully it will. And who'd have thought a year ago we'd be we'd be saying that there's some really exciting opportunities from grassroots football and the professional game had a bit of a cloud or a big cloud hanging over it. Who'd have thought that? So that's how much it's changed. So once again, we just want to say thank you to our partners, Baltic Broadband Limited 
and we really appreciate the support they give us. If you do have any suggestions or comments or tips, it's info at BalticTrianglePodcast.com. That's info at BalticTrianglePodcast.com. So that's almost it for us. Um, all that remains for us to say is thanks for joining us again. And um, we look forward to speaking to you again very soon. Yeah, see you next month. Bye.